Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. Penis Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe if you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So, Prost to you. Where I want to call my home. So, stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. This is Dr. Joe Milios, and welcome to podcast number 55. In this episode, we're going to be talking about all things sex after prostate cancer with psychologist Patrick Lombroso. So I introduced you all to Patrick initially in episode four, which was basically an introduction to Patrick's work interviewing other health professionals. That one was all about the penile vibratory stimulatory device known as Vibirect, and the uh, urologist who was very much involved with the pioneering of that. In episode 50, we introduced Patrick uh, as a health professional from when I had interviewed him in the months before he passed away from brain cancer. So as I said earlier, Patrick was one of those bigger-than-life characters. He was full of beans and, you know, not a word was um, going to be left out when he did have a chance to really share his wisdom in our final um, hours of being interviewed. But before we actually listen to the second um, part of a three-part series of Patrick's life works, I wanted to share with you some feedback. So in context, our most recent episode 50 with Patrick was all about the male psychology when it came to erections and potentially the impact of partners. And, and the focus on that was really quite inspiring. And one of my board members on the Prost um, meeting that we recently had actually said of all our podcasts, number 50 was the most relevant to him. And he's involved with a new concept called Mates Connect by the Prostate Cancer Foundation where you can literally link up with another man going through prostate cancer and actually have a conversation with someone that lived experience themselves. And I found that really fascinating. In fact, um, this gentleman actually said he's been sending it to many other patients across Australia, men with prostate cancer who might be struggling, because he just said it really resonated with him in terms of um, all the feelings that he had. And it was really nice to hear that. So some really positive feedback there. Contrasting to that was another patient of Melissa's, actually, that said, that he was quite distressed hearing Patrick's interview in episode number 50 because Patrick talked about potentially sex never being the same 
and this is after radical prostatectomy, and he felt a loss of hope. Well, we could all actually understand that, but what I'd really like to um, reinforce, I guess, is that this interview was done in 2017, so it was already more than four years ago, and it's only being played posthumously with the permission of Patrick's family because it's been quite difficult for them to hear his voice also. However, if you listen to episode 46 from Dr David Dangerfield, we also talk about how things have rapidly changed and are changing to this very moment, and that is um, the nerve grafting procedure will become available in the next couple of years after being pioneered currently in Melbourne once we have had the papers published and the evidence, um, I guess, significant enough to be reproduced in other centres around the world. So for anyone else that felt somewhat um, depressed by some of Patrick's earlier comments, I guess what I'd like to reinforce is that things do rapidly change. Two years ago, in fact, 2020, August the 8th, 2020, I've got my published paper on pyrenees disease using a real uh, sorry therapeutic ultrasound now it just so happens that i hardly use that anymore i'm now using the focal shockwave treatment and yet all the evidence that i collected in 2014 to 19 was what made up of my body of work to get a publication in 2020 so i did a random control trial there and the results were promising but then technology improved and I still use ultrasound and it's still really worthwhile, but I'm actually finding the fo focal shockwave therapy to be increasingly um, more beneficial. And also the education process is improving. So the quicker we can get access to patients, just like in prostate cancer, the quicker the recovery might be. So just a little bit of feedback there. Finally, I just wanted to read something um, from Patrick's wife. And Patrick's wife um, shall remain unnamed, but she is a beautiful soul and um, she was so, I guess, touched that we were able to continue Patrick's voice. Hi, Joe. I haven't been able to listen to your podcast. I'm just feeling a bit overwhelmed to do it and that is why I haven't given you any feedback. It is not that I am, that I am ungrateful, just a bit sad as to what could have been. Sending you the biggest hug in the world. Thank you so much for tirelessly aiming to help other people. Well, it's my pleasure to share with you more of Patrick. We're going to listen here today to about half an hour of pure gold from Patrick as he talks through things like using the penile injections, how men feel about it, how you can actually improve your sexual conversation and sexual retraining around making the, the injection or the needle your friend rather than your foe. And he talks about the importance of preparing men and even using injections as the first step of penile recovery potentially, as they do in Italy, um, so that men have a fail-safe method of um, working out how to have sex while their nerves are recovering. In this podcast, Patrick mentioned several times, a man with a plan is unstoppable. We'll pick up the conversation and a man with a plan is unstoppable, as was Patrick, and I hope continues to be. So, you know, the important point is to remain um, sexually active. And so even though most people go, well, how do you remain sexually active with coitus? It might be 
you know, teasing each other, playing around, you know. Having a pillow fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one couple that I, I worked with, um, you know, she'll wear lingerie around the house while making his eggs in the morning and okay. she'll flash her boobs at him and stuff like that yep. and say, so you can't have any of these eggs, you can only have those ones. Uh-huh. Um, so the thing is they make light of it and and he finds her incredibly arousing and sexually desirable. Um, every couple's going to be different. Yeah. Um, but if you go to a normal psychologist and go, well, can you help us with this problem? They're not going to be able to help you because they don't have that skill uh, in that area, you really do need to find someone who specialises in sexual recovery following, um, you know, traumatic experience. And that could be whether you've had heart disease or any form of, of, of major condition that affects your sexual function. But, yeah, remaining remaining sexual, remaining intimate, holding hands, kissing, cuddling, um, there are so many things that you can do. And also one of the things that we work with once someone's actually gone through this is to look at how we can incorporate um, treatments within the sexual dynamic. So whether we're talking about um, injection therapy or timing, um, you know, when you take your, your tablets and stuff like that, if you're on Cialis or Viagra, it'll tend to be Viagra these days because it's in Australia at least it's a lot cheaper than what Cialis is. Um, Incorporating that within your sexual dynamic is also really important. That's one area that we've done a lot of work on. And we find that changing the timing of something. Yeah. Here's, here's an example. Um, there are some guys who struggle with injections. Mm-hmm. But what they'll do is um, they decide to have intimacy with their wives. Their wives go off to the bathroom to make themselves gorgeous. They're in there for 15 minutes or whatever else. Um, and during that time, they'll go and take the injection. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, I have to take an injection every day, not for penile rehabilitation, but because of my condition, I've got, yes. uh, I have to take blood thinners. And there's nothing exciting or sexy about taking an injection. And I'm not putting it into my penis right now, it's going into a piece of fat that's sitting on my side. So the thing there is, there's anxiety attached to it, there's nothing sexy attached to it. And then we have these guys who go, look, I'm taking the erections, but I'm wondering, will it work, will it not, the injections, will it work, will it not work? Um, so one of the things is by changing the syntax, the order in which they do things, okay. we can end up with massively different, mm-hmm. better results. Yeah. So with these guys, what I say to them is, look, um, put the injection on the bedside table, have it ready to go. But what I want you to do is pleasure your wife, look after your wife's needs first. And you don't need to have an erection to do that. You need skill and you need technique and you need to be attentive and you need to focus on all those things that will get her hot and bothered and so on and so forth. Then, and by the way, no touching those favourite spots for at least 25 to 45 minutes because it takes her at least that long to warm up. So if you put off taking your injection for, let's say, 30 to 40 minutes until after your partner is, you know, yelling out your name and telling you that you've ruined her for all other men on this planet. Um, Understand that what you're going to find then is that when you finally do get your injection, even if she applies it, number one, you are sexually aroused, which means the treatment is more likely to work. You're also more relaxed. She's more relaxed. And sex is more likely to be um, a lot more enjoyable and your erections um, a lot more successful. 
Okay, well, that's... So just changing the order in which you do things, but to find someone who will actually say, you know, mo- most most urological nurses, God bless them, they get almost no training. They get like 20 minutes to go through every single thing they have to after the surgery, and they don't do any sexual therapy or training or anything like that. And they're put into terrible situations with men who often feel embarrassed and so on and so forth. This is the bind that men find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And, and the urological nurses, as I said, most of them are absolutely unbelievably dedicated, compassionate people, but they're not skilled. And the urologists themselves, I have to say, sorry, guys, I love you all, especially like your referrals, but <laughs> um, a lot of you guys, especially the older generation of urologists who have been around a long time. Um, There's a bit of a generation gap. Massive one. I can tell you some of the younger guys who are coming through, um, their approach to penile rehabilitation and sex. And really what we should be talking about here is not just penile rehabilitation. We should be talking about sexual recovery. Sexual. If the focus is on sexual recovery, understand all the things that lead to depression, lack of self-esteem, um, you know, intimacy issues, couples breakdowns and all the rest of it, which a lot of couples fear. If we focused on sexual recovery, a lot of those things would actually be addressed. Okay, well, I'd like to... Um, work through that a little bit more. So as a physiotherapist, I've actually had a lot of opportunity to have similar discussions with my patients. And every now and then someone will come along and be absolutely devastated by the physical changes that actually occur to their penis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have one particular patient that I recall who said to me, for the following four years following his prostatectomy, the only thing he shared in common with his wife was their postcode, no longer in the same bedroom, at the same end of the house, uh, he developed Pyrone's disease. Uh, his penis basically shrunk down, he believes, about four to five centimetres from what it had been um, previously. And he was basically mortified by the prospect of not being able to pleasure his wife. So these type of uh, side effects are not talked about either. Have, what's your experience with the physical side effects down the track? Well, number one, there are going to be physical side effects. And this is why I suggest that speaking with someone who's a a sex therapist who actually has skills in these particular areas, um, which are pretty rare, unfortunately. Um, At the Man Focus Clinic, we do focus on this area of expertise, but it's one of the areas that still is in, in development stage amongst all the other practitioners that I know of. Um, the issue with regards to um, losing length and so on and so forth, some of that's unavoidable. But if you believe that the only way to having intimacy is only through your penis and you've never been taught <clears throat> that there are other ways, in fact, far better ways of being able to be sexually um, successful, for want of a better way of saying it, then you're lost. Not only are you lost, but you're lost, you're blind and you're and you're deaf, so you don't even know what direction you're going in. You can't receive direction. It's very hard, and this is what happens. So men, a guy with a plan is unstoppable, but most okay. of these guys don't have plans. So guys need a plan. So they need a sexual. They, they need sexual plans, but this has got to. It's got to be a plan <clears throat> that is compatible with their partner. So to open up dialogue, you know. And we've had highly sexed couples. In, in One of the participants in my first study when I was doing my PhD, um, we had a couple who, um, when I interviewed 
people in my in my study, I interview them separately so that whatever responses they give me, you want to check that their responses are are consistent and mm-hmm. you don't have them in the same room because yeah. if one person says, oh, we had sex a dozen times a week and the other one says, oh, we hadn't had sex in a year, well, you know, there's inconsistency in the information they're giving you. <clears throat> I had one couple that were having sex. They, he, I said, prior to your prostatectomy, how often were you having sex? And he said, um, I think he said something like between five and 12 times a week. Wow. I'm going, oh, this guy's just bragging. Like, you know, I didn't say <laughs> yeah, that yeah, to yeah. him, but internally I'm thinking. Yeah. And then I interviewed his wife and I said, prior to the prostatectomy, you know, how often were you and Bill yep. engaging in intimacy? And she goes, oh, between five and eight times a week. Okay. So I'm going, oh, so they actually were. So they were a very highly sexual couple in their late 60s. And he had non-nerve sparing surgery, which means that basically the nerves, the cavernous nerves that wrap themselves around the prostate gland had both been severed um, or removed um, and he was no longer capable of achieving a spontaneous erection. Um, And the only options really available to him were injection therapy. Now, here's a couple who she was saying to me, and she was weeping during the interview, um, saying that we became like brother and sister for two years. Um, He left the bedroom. um, They became estranged from each other. So this is a couple who, you know, I don't know too many couples that, five to eight times a week (laughs) but um you know so here's the thing history doesn't necessarily dictate and he was lost and he felt that he couldn't look after her and because their entire sex life was built around his functioning penis and that was it Mm. you know as i said like in chess you lose your queen it's not the end of the game but for some people it's like well my most important player is now out it's the end of the season so with him here's the interesting thing um, his doctor had performed non-nerve sparing surgery. His doctor assumed because they were over the age of 60, in fact, they were over 65, that they didn't have an active sex life, okay. although they never really, other than a superficial question, they weren't he asked. wasn't really asked. Um, in fact, the guy, the guy, the doctor says, look, how important is it to you to have an erection? Now, this guy, when he spoke to the doctor, he thought he was going to die. Well, I can tell you something. If, you, if I have a choice between dying and maintaining an erection, of course I'm going to say, you know, Live. please, please <laughs> save me. Well, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Who, put, who would say, well, listen, just, you know, so long as my erections are fine, I don't mind dying of cancer. Not mm. too many guys are going to say that. No. But in this, their particular case, the doctor assumed that this guy had no active sex life. Um, two years, no sex, no intimacy. He wouldn't go near his wife, wouldn't okay. even give her a cuddle. Yeah. Not because he was angry with her, but he felt that if he, he wasn't a complete man. And this is my patient's experience as well. He was on the golf course one day and he met a guy and um, they'd known each other for quite some time, but, you know, they hadn't seen each other in a while. And he discovered this guy had gone through prostate cancer as well. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, this guy who was a bit more open about these things said, oh, you know, how's your stiffy? And he said, oh, he goes, well, you know, I don't get them anymore. He goes, yeah. he goes what about you? He goes, oh, mine are fine. And he says, okay. how are yours fine? He goes, you know, you had the same surgery as me. And he said, well, you know, there's these injections. Now, this patient had never been told about injection therapy okay and here's the thing he almost left his clubs on the fairway he ran home he went and got an appointment straight away he went back to his euro and the euro goes oh yeah there's these injections well Uh asshole why didn't you tell him like two years ago we might have to delete the word asshole um (laughs) yeah and this is a, a case where perhaps some of the older um 
euros haven't necessarily kept pace with the needs and the advances. Um, some of the younger euros I'm finding, the ones, and by younger, I mean guys who are in their 40s and 50s um, in terms of urologists, they're taking sexual recovery um, a lot more seriously. Sure. And I think if it's a, a priority of the patient, they've got to keep on searching and asking. Priority of the patient is, once again, it's relative and it's what you believe your biggest challenge is going to be. So if you think you're going to die because a doctor has said to you, you've got prostate cancer, go home and have a good cry with your wife and I can operate on you this time next week. Well, you're thinking I'm going to die. Absolutely, yeah. So here's the thing. Um, tens of thousands of years of evolution have told us that when we're under pressure, we're under stress, we don't reproduce. If you went to the savannah, Mm. in southern Africa and there's bushfires and there's no food and there's drought and whatever else, well, the animals themselves aren't going to mate. And we are animals. So the thing is, yeah, it's all relative. But if a guy, doctors who have seen the patterns of response knows that this stuff, the, the existential crisis that a man is facing when diagnosed with cancer, thinking he's going to die, well, that's going to subside five minutes after he's come out of surgery. Sure. And then he wants to get on with living. Exactly. And the whole thing is most guys with prostate cancer do live and they'll live for, look, unless you've been really unlucky and, you know, you develop advanced cancer and even now there are treatments for those guys. But a large number of men won't develop advanced cancer for, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, depending on how young they are and so on and so forth. So the thing is, if we focus on sexual recovery, mm -hmm. if you ask, if you diagnose number one, as I said, get a second opinion. Number two, get some books on pleasuring women. Here's the thing. Less than one in four women can climax with a penis. Is that right? A hundred percent of women can climax with a tongue. Is that right? Okay. So there you go. So go and do your tongue twisters. <laughs> um, go and learn how to, um, you know, curl um, cherry stems in your mouth. Um, Over your you know, tw Twin Peaks style from, you know, 100 years ago, Cheryl and Fenn. Um, you know, learn those sorts of things and have conversations. And, if you, and, and encourage your partner to give you instructions as to what feels good, what tastes good, what smells good, what sounds good, what... And guys, if your partner is telling you this, this is gold. <laughs> you know, don't take it as like, I know what I'm doing. Bullshit. You don't know what you're doing most of the time. Believe me, even if you think you're good at it, um, there's, there's room, always room for, for improvement. improvement. Okay. If you think your partner is perfect in every sense, then maybe you might believe yourself to be correct. But it's a rare thing. There's a, so communications are really important. Um, partners, believe me, your erections are really important to your men. Please, please, please don't say to your doctor, just keep him alive, sex isn't important, because he'll be heartbroken by that. Okay, so just earlier, Patrick, you mentioned that if we leave it two, three years down the track and we haven't started penile rehabilitation, mm -hmm. there's no coming back. And I get that. There's no spontaneous erections coming back. Mm, okay. You can only have aided erections. So just say one step further and pay, uh, a couple have been through all the various um, options, the Viagras, the pumps, uh, they're... they're not really still satisfied. Mm -hmm. Do you have much experience with the penile implant that you could talk about or have well, anything the to add? Well, the penile implants 
here's the thing about penile implants. I think the the last time I looked at the stats, it was less than certainly less than ten percent. I think the average percentage over the last decade or so was something like five between five and ten percent of men will opt for a penile implant. Good news about the penile implants is that amongst those five or ten percent of guys, they estimate that ninety five percent of men consider the implant to be of high satisfaction rating. Low complications, high satisfaction, um, but there are some trade-offs that you've got. Um, it takes a while to recover from it. And one of the things is, if I know of anyone who's thinking about getting a penile implant, one of the first things I'll say to them is, for God's sake, don't go to a guy who does like one a month. You wanna go to a, you wanna find someone who does plenty of penile implants. Um, so that's one thing. Um, thing with penile implants is you can throw away all the meds afterwards. Basically what you've got is you've got a bladder that they tend to fit in your testicular sac. Um, sorry, not the bladder, but there's a pump that they put in your testicular sac. Um, there's a bladder that sits uh, like- Reservoir. A reservoir uh, just underneath the, um, above the hip, but underneath the belly so you can't see it. And, and basically what you do is uh, you give it two or three pumps and um, it fills up these cavernous uh, tubes and you get a fairly strong erection. Um, there is still technique attached to that. I've had guys who, um, they said to me, um, the problem with the penile implants is not the, the implants themselves fail, but they need training so that they have ownership over their erections. Really? Some of them have said to me, it's like the erection doesn't belong to me. Okay. So once again, learn, changing the syntax, the order in which you do things, um, one guy I knew, um, his wife, once again, would go off into the bathroom to make herself gorgeous and he would inflate straight away. Okay. So there he's there for like 15 minutes with a fully inflated penis. And he goes, and my penis gets really sore. Well, no kidding, Dick Tracy. Um, <laughs> you know, don't inflate for 20 or 30 minutes waiting for your wife to come out of the bathroom. In fact, the beauty about an implant is you can do it instantly. You know, it's like being a 13-year-old boy, you know, you, erections come within the, the same 30 seconds of having a naughty thought. And and can the partner actually? Yeah, the partner can do it, although um, that takes a bit of training because you certainly don't want to squeeze in your testicular sac instead of the um, the pump because, uh, <laughs> you know, if someone grabs hold of your testing and gives that a good old squeeze and pump, uh, I don't care where on the planet we'll hear you, we'll be able to detect your sound on Mars. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing there is when, I, when I've worked with guys like that, one of the things I actually say to them is once again, take 30 to 45 minutes to look after your partner, then use the pump. Because by that stage, remember your brain is a big part of this whole sexual response. So if you are really happy with yourself because your wife has, or your partner has said to you, you know, you are magnificent, she's breathing heavily and she's you know, waking up the neighbours and stuff. Well, you can't help but feel pretty good about yourself. So if you're using the pump or any medicated treatment or whatever else, or the penile implant, um, then you're more likely to have a successful sexual outcome. So these are the things. Injection therapy, most guys are afraid to use injections. Um, for guys who have had non-nerve sparing surgery and they don't want to go the pump, pretty much injections are the only choice that they have. Um, I actually prefer patients to start off with injection therapy. Can you explain why? Yeah, because the great injection therapy is really highly reliable. Um, I still suggest to men that keep um, keep a notebook, know what works, know how long it took, um, the volume of 
you, you know, whether or not you had adverse outcomes and so on and so forth. Most men will start on uh, a, an injection called Cavaject. Psychologically, it's a bit hard to get used to the idea of having to inject. But once you get used to it um, and you receive correct training on how to apply it and you do it 30 minutes intersex or if you're lucky enough, your partner might inject you. Okay, yep. Um, and that can be part of your sexual routine. Um, that couple who I was telling you about before, um, you know, if, if, if either of them are feeling particularly amorous, the wife will say, you've been naughty, get me the injection, I'm going to punish you. <laughs> and and that to me, you know, some people might be listening to this in horror, but that to me I'm thinking, you know, that's actually quite sweet. It's quite yeah. funny they're maintaining their sense of humour and yeah. their connection between each other. So the thing is, the if you look at the studies coming out of Europe, um, University of Padua, University of Bologna, where the Italians have done a lot of work, um, and in France as well, um, they tend to go with injection therapy first because worst comes to worst, the guy says to himself, okay, whether my function returns or not, I know I can always er achieve an erection. Okay, so who's... Whereas in the West, going the American-Australian mm -hmm. system, if we called it as such, yep. um, they start off with drugs. Okay. Like, so they start off with a guy with Cialis and Levitra and whatever else, uh, or, or um, Viagra. Now, here's the problem. I've got guys who have never had surgery, who don't have any physiological damage, um, who haven't had prostatectomies, but they come and see me because they've got performance anxiety or whatever. Prem yeah, premature ejaculation, whatever yeah. it might be. So here's the thing. A big chunk of this as being a sexual health psychologist is getting people to master their brains. Okay. Right? Getting mental mastery. So the thing is, if this guy's going, well, will this work? Will this work? Last time I took the drugs, it didn't work. Well, guess what? Chemically, the drugs might be perfect. He might have gotten his timing right. It might be at the perfect titration and so on and so forth. But if psychologically he's wondering, will this work? And he's gone up to bat, but you give him a toothpick, a toothpick to bat with. Okay, yeah. Well, he's going to fear failure every single time. The thing with injection therapy is they have a very high success rate straight away. So then we say to them, okay, you've succeeded with injection therapy. Let's try tablets, yeah. right? Because if you might find that worst comes to worst, you go back to injections. Mm -hmm. But at least he knows worst comes to worst, I'll go back to injections. But if you send him up to the plate, he swings and he misses, swings and misses, swings and misses. By the time you send him in with injection therapy, he's already starting to become fairly dejected and he's thinking, well, his sex life is over. That's such a fascinating way of um, looking at it compared to what we routinely do here, as you say. How early are these guys in the European um, studies getting exposed? Straight away. Straight away, as in? Straight away. That will be their first form of sexual recovery. They okay. will start with injection therapy because it's the biggest hill they've got to overcome sure. as well. Yeah. Um, I won't mention his name, but there's a, there's a urologist who I have to say when I interviewed him out at Macquarie Hospital, um, a younger uro. Yeah. Still in his 50s, but um, his approach is we start them off with injections. He goes, I will give them the injection and okay. they can keep on coming and seeing me yep. until they have the confidence to be able to self-inject. Okay, good. Yep. And that to me is the sign of a guy who really loves his work, is passionate about the outcomes for his patients. Um, but when I said to him, you know, as part of my PhD research, I said, it's interesting you've gone down that line. And we shared this belief in terms of recovery in common. 
Um, you and I attended a World Congress of Prostate Cancer several years ago. I don't know if you remembered, but one of the Euros got up and said, oh, there are the Italians are all doing this. Oh, yeah, this. yeah, 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 I remember And that. everybody else is going with, with tablets. And as if to say, you know, well, the Italians are all sex crazed and, you know, we're all <laughs> preoccupied with our dicks. And uh, I remember I asked the question and I announced, I said, oh, because um, everyone announces their name and where they're from. And I said, oh, I'm Patrick Lombroso, uh, University of Sydney, uh, and I happen to be Italian, uh, <laughs> I remember which that. was part I of my that. qualification to yeah, be an expert yeah. in sexual recovery. I happen to be Italian. Um, but yeah, so the thing is, um, he's taken this approach. He said, look, erections, even with guys who haven't undergone surgery, erections are in large part psychological. As, if you're, yeah. as is digestion. Right. If you're under stress, guess what happens? Your body system, your digestive system, you know, we will move blood and resources from your body to the muscles to get the hell out of that problem. So your all your sex organs won't work. Your digestive system starts to shut down. And, you know, it, it's a nervous response. So if the guy is already not feeling that comfortable about sex to start off with, and he goes, well, the last time I took Viagra, it didn't work. Yeah. And I was a failure sexually. Yeah. Well, guess what? He's not going to want to have sex. It's People strange. don't like fail. Yeah. So this is what we talk about. If we focus on sexual recovery and we focus on giving men customized plans. Yep. You know, I like to say, you know, the phrase that I use is the man with a plan is unstoppable. The but man if he with a plan is unstoppable. We should trademark that. We should, <laughs> although probably someone's already taken it. But, you know, the thing is um, guys are just basically sent home with a prescription, no instruction, and, and they lose faith in their abilities, they lose faith in their recovery, or they do nothing in the, in the belief. And I've heard Euro say this, um, you know, We'll figure something out after your surgery. Well, I'm yeah. sorry, it's too late by that stage. Yeah. And and men are left with this false... In my first study where I interviewed... Um, I think I interviewed something like 24 different in, separate individuals. Um, the number of men who said, I was falsely lured into believing everything would be all right sexually after my surgery, only to discover once the surgery had taken place, I'd been misled. It was a very common response amongst nearly all men except for those younger guys who were in their 50s who had a return of function relatively quickly but even then they still complain about the issues like your patient did you know the shrinkage and so on and so forth and and just to extrapolate that a little bit further i'd really love your um expression the housekeeping erections i think that'd be a really helpful thing to explain so men understand what it is that they're encountering so, sorry to leave you lingering with a question to Patrick about housekeeping erections, but at the time he did ask me to stop the recording so he could save the file, and we ended up picking up the conversation subsequently. But that's for another episode, which we'll be sharing with you in November. So the housekeeping erections was my favourite phrase that Patrick coined, and it's all about the physiology of normal penile function, so men actually have five to six nocturnal erections every night while they're sleeping in a normal healthy penis. It usually occurs during rapid eye movement or dreaming states and it's all designed to keep the blood flow and the corpus cavernosa tissue healthy so that regardless of any sexual activity, men can engage in uh, sexual relations or help with the propagation of the human species uh, at any time they might need to. And so Patrick worked out that if men had 
five or six nocturnal erections a night, that over a whole year, they would miss out on potentially 2,000 per year. And so this is why we get changes in the penile tissue, things like penile shrinkage and the Peronis disease that can develop, which is also the case after radiation therapy. So housekeeping erections is a really comfortable way of talking about the normal penis action while you're sleeping. Just yesterday, I had a patient who has developed Peronis disease and he only was made aware of that because several times through the night, when he does have an erection, he gets pain in his penis. Now, we worked out that actually he had a minor sexual incident a couple of months ago, but it took about two months uh, to show some minor curvature in his penis. But it was the housekeeping erections that alerted him to a problem. And this can be easily sorted. We'll wait to next episode before we hear more from Patrick. But hope you enjoyed today. And for all the men out there, a man with a plan is unstoppable. Lives inside me. It's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback, and Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love for you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to the Penis Project org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next we also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about finally it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days, I learned to value each and every one. Of those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees We tried to deny The going down of the sun We're just having too much fun